Thank you for joining us for the Covenant Gathering here on Eurofolkradio.com. Our host is Pastor Visser from CovenantPeople'sMinistry.org. We hope that you are inspired to grow in faith and wisdom by studying the scriptures each week with us. It is written, Gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, and gather the children. So let us gather together for this Bible study hour with our host, Pastor Visser, on the Eurofolk Radio Network. Good afternoon to all my friends and kinsfolk all around the world. I'm Pastor Visser, and I'm glad to be with you on an all-new Covenant Gathering broadcast on the Eurofolk Radio Network. And today, I'm pleased to be bringing the fourth part of my four-part series, meaning that today will be the conclusion of our examination looking in to the devil. And if you were with me on the 7th of this month, January 2016, 17, excuse me, you'll know that I began by looking at the doctrine of Satan. And in that particular broadcast, which streamed live here on EFR, we looked at mostly what the New Testament has to say regarding the devil. I followed that up on the 14th of January with the origin of Satan. And in that particular recording, we attempted to explain why Yahweh God created Satan, how he was created, and his initial state before his fall. Now, last week on the 21st, we did the works of Satan. And in that, we attempted to explain some of his devices, and more importantly, the devices of his children, also known as ministers of light. And that particular broadcast was plagued with technical difficulties, and that, my friends, was actually on our end. And so, we do apologize for that. However, we do have a backup of that particular recording last week, titled Works of Satan, and it is accessible on our webpage, and that URL is given at the beginning, the intermission, and the conclusion of every broadcast. And that, of course, leads us to to today. Being January 28, 2017, it is about 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And that makes it 5 p.m. in London, England. And again, I would like to thank you for joining me today for the conclusion in this lecture titled, Fall of Satan. But before we actually look at today's topic and subject matter, I would like to call on the saints, meaning the flock of Yahweh God, to lift up Pastor Paul Mullet in prayer, because he requires your prayers at this time. And perhaps you're familiar with his teachings, because he is a regular here on the Eurofolk Radio Network, and he requires your prayers for better health right now. So, with that being established, in order to understand the works and the fall of Satan, and what makes him fall, you must understand that there are technically two falls listed in Scripture. There is the first fall of Satan, and I have mentioned that in passing several times in this particular four-part series. This is known as the catabole of Satan. 
This is, through his rebellion, what caused Yahweh God to bring an end to the first earth age and usher in the second earth age that we are in. And of course, there is a second fall of Satan, or a latter fall, we could say, and that is right before Yahshua Messiah returns as the bridegroom to marry his bride. And, of course, we're going to look at some of that today. But that is the second fall of Satan, and the ultimate fall of Satan. And we're going to take a look at many themes today. But before we actually do, by way of review, I felt it would be extremely beneficial to the flock to look at some of the names of the devil as he appears within Scripture. He is called Abaddon in Revelation chapter 9 verse 11. And of course, Abaddon in the Greek means to perish. He's considered the accuser of our brethren, according to Revelation chapter 12 verse 10. And that is very important, because you will find that that is one of his methods. He loves to go around and accuse, and I might add, my friends, so do his children. This is why Yahweh God hates sowers of discord and those that accuse our brethren. Notice that's a racial term. So one of the methods of the devil is to accuse your racial kinsfolk. He's considered an adversary in 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 8. The angel of the bottomless pit in Revelation chapter 9 verse 11 again. He's considered Apollyon in the aforementioned Revelation chapter 9 verse 11, which also means to perish. He's considered Beelzebub in Mark chapter 12 and Matthew chapter 3, Luke chapter 11. He's also considered Belial and or Belial in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 verse 15, the devil in Matthew chapter 4, Luke chapter 4, and many other places, like Revelation chapter 20. He's considered an enemy, according to the mouth of Yahshua, in Matthew chapter 13, verse 39. An evil spirit, in 1 Samuel chapter 16. The father of lies, according to Christ, in John chapter 8, verse 44. Those are just a few of his names. He's also metaphorically the gates of hell, according to Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. The great red dragon of Revelation chapter 12. A liar, according to Jesus Christ, again in John chapter 8 verse 44. A lying spirit in 1 Kings chapter 22. A murderer in John chapter 8. An old serpent in Revelation chapter 12, 20. And also, the ruler of the power of darkness in Colossians. The prince of this world. The prince of the power of the air. The ruler of the darkness of this world, the serpent, the spirit that worketh in the children of disobedience, the tempter, the god of this world, the unclean spirit, the wicked one, and that's just a few of his names and my lengthy notes. And the reason I digressed right there, my friends, is because one of the intentions in this four-part series, looking at the reality of the devil, is to prove just that, his reality. That he is literal, because unfortunately there are people who like to come in and they say, well, Satan's just our flesh. In light of the fact that we learn in Ephesians and many other places that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So, 
Where should we begin in looking at the fall of Satan? We should look at his first fall. And we briefly touched upon this in the origin of Satan. And some of this bears repeating. But I'd like you this afternoon to turn with me to the gospel according to Luke. And in Luke's gospel, it is here in the 10th chapter where we read in verse 17. The 70 disciples returned again with joy, saying, Yahshua, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Now I took you there first, because we've covered that numerous times in this series, but it also deals with the first fall of Satan, because he uses the past tense. He says, I beheld, not I will soon behold Satan as lightning fall from heaven. So this obviously is the period between Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and Genesis chapter 1 verse 2, known as the catabol or the original rebellion of Satan. And we're going to look at that a little bit more in depth. Another thing I would like you to consider about the original fall of the devil is found in Isaiah chapter 14. Because it's here where we learn in verse 12. How thou art fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. How art thou cut down to the ground, which did weakenest the nations. So, this is a point in history where Isaiah, the major prophet to the Israelite race, says that this Lucifer, also considered the son of the morning, fell from heaven. But yet we just determined in Luke chapter 10 that Christ once beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. And that's a very important point, my friends, because this is that period in history that Christ was referencing in Luke chapter 10. Isaiah is speaking on this in chapter 14. And we learn that Satan fell from heaven, right? But we learn so much more here in Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. How thou art fallen from heaven, how thou art cut down to the ground, which did weaken the nations. Nations, a polite way of saying the races. And so, once again, we see we're dealing with racial themes in these prophecies. Because this is a racial war. We're dealing with the children of Yahweh God and the children of the devil. And Christ clearly taught us such when he taught his parable of the tares and the wheat. And so also does loving St. John in his epistles, when he says, Hereby we know the love of God, and hereby we know the children of the devil. So very important to understand, why did he fall initially? Verse 13 in Isaiah chapter 14. For thou, Satan, hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. And so, because we dealt with some of this in my lecture two weeks ago, Origin of Satan, we're going to keep this part brief. But this is dealing with that point in history where Satan says within his heart, I will exalt my throne above the stars of heaven. And in my lecture, The Doctrine and Origin of Satan, in this very series, we looked at the Gnostic book of Adam and Eve and what Satan latter 
or much later, would do with that same said throne. The throne that he says he will exalt above all the other stars of God. But yet Job chapter 38 clearly says the stars of God are the morning stars, or what? Angels, the sons of God. And that's very important. Because Christ gave us many clues as to what to look for on earth right before he returns for that marriage supper of the Lamb. Right before he returns. And that dragon is bound for a thousand years. So what else can be said on the initial fall of Satan? Turn with me to the Old Testament prophet Ezekiel and the 28th chapter. Because it is here where we learn, beginning in verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Hmm, very interesting. Because most of us believe, well, Adam and Eva. They were the only two in the garden of God. But what about that serpent? That serpent was there, and here it's confirmed. In Ezekiel chapter 28. Right? Verse 13. Thou hast been in Eden, the garden of God. Now, Ezekiel goes through all of the precious stones that are indwelled within the devil. He says, The workmanship of thy tabarets and of thy pipes was prepared in thee in the day that thou wast created. And therefore, we must understand that this adversary that we have, who once fell and will fall again to commence the battle of the great day, quote-unquote, against you and I, the offspring of Yahweh God will happen again. It's mentioned here. Why did he fall? Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub, a polite way of saying an angel, that covereth. And I have set thee so. Thou wast upon the holy mountain of God. Thou walked up and down in the midst. Walked up and down in the midst of the stones of fire. And thou wast perfect in thy ways. From the day that thou wast created. Until iniquity was found in thee. So, let's establish that before looking much deeper. Yahweh God created this anointed cherub. This archangel of Yahweh God that was in Eden. His garden, right? To seduce Eva in the very beginning. Was created the full pattern. He was created beautiful. And he was created full of wisdom. And that's confirmed in Ezekiel chapter 28 verse 17. Thine heart, Satan, was lifted up because of thy beauty. Thou hast corrupted thy wisdom by reason of thy brightness. Brightness. Just like the other sons of God considered morning stars who come in brightness. And that's very important, because in works of Satan, we confirm that the devil and his ministers transform themselves as angels of light, right? So light bears a lot into this, and especially into the deception that is coming. Because we learn that if it were possible, the devil would deceive the very elect, that he would be able to show what signs and wonders But that's not all. What else happens? We learn in verse 18 of Ezekiel 28. Thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquities, lawlessness, or transgressions of the law, that he was the very anointed cherub to cover within that mercy seat. 
And guess what? We learn right here. I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth in the sight of all of them that behold thee. Past tense. It is here where we learn of the fall of Satan. The initial fall of Satan because Yahweh God says, I will bring thee to ashes upon the earth. And some manuscripts render this as I will cast thee out or throw thee to the earth. So this is very important as well, and I believe we briefly touched upon this. But the spiritual offspring of those angels that fell and procreated with the daughters of Adam that we read about in Genesis chapter 6, the offspring of those Nephilim, even though they were destroyed, are free to be demons upon the earth. And it is Ephesians that teaches this war that we battle isn't against flesh and blood. It is against a spiritual adversary. And we're about to prove that as well from Second Peter chapter 2. In Second Peter chapter 2, we learn in verse 1, there were false prophets also among the people. Stopping right there. There were false prophets among Peter's people. Among the time of the first and second generation church. What else does he say in his second epistle, chapter 2, verse 1? Even as there shall be false teachers among you. He doesn't say might. He doesn't say possibly. Peter says there will be false teachers among you. What will they do? They will privily bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them. Stopping right there. Who bought them on Calvary? So... It's obvious right here what we're dealing with. In context, false prophets that deny Yahshua. And they bring upon themselves swift destruction. So, in Second Peter chapter 2, where you are, verse 4, he says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those that should after live ungodly. And stopping right there, what we learn is all of these things that are referenced right here. Sodom and Gomorrah, the times of Noah, and what else? The angels that sinned in Genesis chapter 6 are examples to any nation that would embrace the behaviors that Yahweh God disdained in those particular times. What was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? But fornication on every level, homosexuality and race mixing. What was going on in the times of Noah? Well, there was another form of fornication known as another form of miscegenation between the daughters of Adam and the sons of God, being the angels that fell under the leadership of the devil. So we're dealing with what? The angels that sinned. And God did not spare them, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto the day of judgment. Now do you understand why last week I took you to the book of Enoch, where we learn in the secrets of Enoch that on the fifth level of heaven, Enoch saw the Gregory, those same angels that sinned, those same angels that Yahweh God delivered into chains of darkness. Why? Because they're wandering stars to whom it is reserved, the blackness of darkness forever. 
One more point to consider, and it is found in the New Testament epistle of Paul to Timothy, chapter 3, where we learn in verse 5. For if a man knows not how to rule his own house, how shall he take care of the church of God? Here is Paul giving the prerequisite of a preacher. And he says a man needs to rule his own house, meaning he must have children in order to be able to take care of the church of God. And truly, in many ways, being a preacher is like babysitting. But in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6, Not a novice, lest being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. What is the condemnation of the devil? What caused the devil to be condemned by Yahweh God, according to Paul in 1 Timothy here, chapter 3? Pride. And that, my friends, is what Isaiah mentioned in the 14th chapter. Pomp and arrogance. That will cause a fall every time, and Yahshua taught no different. Christ said, what comes before a fall? Pride. So, Satan also is considered to be an example. Just like the times of Noah, and Sodom and Gomorrah, and Genesis chapter 6, when Yahweh God had to destroy the Nephilim, from the face of the earth. So we looked at some of the names of the devil. He's considered the wicked one, the tempter. Not your flesh tempting you, and that bears repeating as well. Because men who like to deny the reality of the devil usually go to the general epistle of James. And they point out, usually, the first chapter, beginning in verse 12, where we learn, Blessed is the man that endures temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which Yahweh hath promised to them that love him. But every man is tempted, and let no man say when he is tempted, I am tempted of God. Why? For God, Yahweh, cannot be tempted with evil. Yahweh cannot be tempted with evil. Now do you understand why Christ, when he was tempted of the devil, did not succumb to any of the three temptations that were brought forth? God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. James chapter 1 verse 14. But every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Now, understand, James chapter 1 verse 14 isn't saying every man is tempted by his flesh, does it? It says every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. Meaning, your lust through your flesh can draw you away, but there is a tempter there. And it is not Yahweh God, because God cannot be tempted with evil, and no man can say when he is tempted, I am tempted of Yahweh God. Very important, so important, that even James, the half-brother of Yahshua, says in verse 16 of the first chapter, Do not err, my beloved brethren. Brethren. So, very important to understand that the devil is considered the accuser of our brethren. Therefore, his children have no problem walking around and accusing most times, without two witnesses or any proof whatsoever, others. And you find this within Christian identity. There are genuine preachers of Yahweh God that attempt to teach you, feed you, give you wisdom and understanding. So also, are there vile mouth bastards out there who spend a majority of their time slandering? 
those pastors that Yahweh God will raise up. So Satan does fall because he did fall before. And Satan will have an ultimate battle with the saints. And that's what we're going to be looking at. The final fall of Satan, that is, before he goes into perdition for a thousand years and is ultimately destroyed. Because many people struggle with the statement, death and hell is cast into the lake of fire. And I believe if you stay with me, I'll be able to clarify that particular statement when we go and actually look at Revelation and many other things from the New Testament. So where should we begin in light of this, right? We've covered some of the names. We've covered the modus operandi of the devil. We've confirmed in this series that the devil has offspring. He has ministers. And he transforms himself into the angels of light, ministers of righteousness. And so this deception that is coming, right, is so great that if it were possible, it could deceive you and I. So I feel the best place to look at this is in the words of Yahshua Messiah himself. What does he say about this ultimate battle that will commence? Right? Well, turn with me today to the Gospel according to Matthew. And we're going to look at chapter 24. It is my suggestion that you bookmark chapter 24 in the gospel according to Matthew because it is here where Christ he doesn't give you the hour nor the moment of his return but he does give you the signs to look forward to and remember that the son of perdition who comes would be able to deceive the elect with signs and wonders had Yahweh God not shortened those days and so the disciples come to Jesus Christ at the very beginning of Matthew chapter 24 and they ask him at the beginning, in uh, verse 3, they say, Tell us when these things shall be. What shall be the sign of thy coming and the end of the world, or this age? The end of the second earth age, is what they're asking Christ. And he says, beginning in verse 4 of Matthew chapter 24, Take heed that no man deceive you. Notice he begins by saying, Take heed that no man deceive you. But what is another name for, the, for Satan? the deceiver. So obviously he has ministers down here. And in my opinion, they're found within the Judeo-Christian megachurches espousing lies. And in many ways, the guile and the poison that comes out of their mouth is more detrimental to our Christian body than even the politicians and their lies. He says, take heed that no man deceive you. For many shall come in my name saying, I am Christ and shall deceive many. They're going to deceive many. But yet, didn't I just confirm to you from Second Peter chapter 2 that many follow the false prophet. Many follow their pernicious ways. And because many, the majority, follow that false prophet or the false prophet, the same false prophet that goes into hell with the son of perdition, the reason of truth is spoken evil of. That is why. The way of man is to come in and say, well, the majority doesn't believe as such. But Yahweh God says one with him is the majority. Christ said, narrow is the way that leadeth to eternal life. And few there be that find it. Few there be. Many are called, few are chosen. So understand that point coming out the gate. Many shall come in his name and they will deceive the majority of the world. Now do you understand why Yahweh God has to cut short that deception. 
Anyway, Matthew chapter 24, verse 6. Christ continues. You shall hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled. For all these things must come to pass, but the end is not yet. For nation shall rise against nation. A polite way of saying race against race. And we're seeing that right now fulfilled, are we not? In many regards, just as Joel spoke about the locust armies flooding into Europe and the new Jerusalem, which is actually what this entire, quote-unquote, battle of the great day, known as Armageddon, is over. It's over the body of Christ, which is the church, according to Ephesians chapter 1. But... Nation shall rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom. There shall be famines, pestilences, earthquakes in diverse places. And all these are the beginning of sorrows. Pay close attention. The disciples said, what shall it be right before you return? What's the condition of the earth? Matthew chapter 24, verse 9. Christ continues explaining to them. Then... Then, after these beginning of sorrows, right now we could say, then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted, and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. And then shall many be offended, and shall betray one another, and shall hate one another, and many false prophets shall rise and deceive many. And because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. The love of many today is waxing cold because iniquity abounds. And where is iniquity taught for the most part but behind the Judeo-Christian pulpit where they tell you the law is nailed to the cross and you're no longer accountable to Yahweh God or Yahshua. (laughs) You're no longer accountable for crucifying him afresh every time you sin. Well, that's something to consider. Because iniquity abounds, the love of many is waxing cold right now. But what does Christ say in verse 13? He that shall endure until the end, the same shall be saved. And the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness to all Israelite nations, and then the end shall come. Now, do you think in this internet era that the gospel, which is in short the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, has been preached around the world to all Israelite nations yet? Well, think on that. We're going to take a one-minute break, and I'll be back with you very shortly with the continuation of today's lecture. Thank you for listening to the Covenant People's Ministry broadcast. If you have enjoyed hearing the message of the gospel and would like to be a part of our fellowship, be sure to write to us at CPM Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205. You can also visit us on the web at covenantpeoplesministry.org where you will find direct access to our extensive selection of audio sermons. You can also listen to Pastor Visser by Godcast on your mobile audio devices. Our sermons and videos are made possible by your tithes and offerings. If you wish to support this ministry, please make your checks or money orders payable to Covenant People's Ministry or use the donate button on our website to use PayPal. Remember that Jesus Christ is our all, so we hope that you will allow him to lead your life. We urge you to be a living example of Christian faith and apply his words to your lives. It has been a pleasure to have you with us, and now we will return to Pastor Visser's Bible study message.
And we definitely would like to thank Paul English and the entire Eurofolk Radio crew for allowing me this soapbox to discuss the reality of the devil in today's conclusion of our four-part series. And in fact, we'll be back next Saturday with an all-new opening. And hopefully, in upcoming months, we'll be able to pick up more time slots and allow your calls and much more than that. But we left off before the break in Matthew chapter 24, where Christ is giving the disciples, that's you and I by extension, all the signs to look forward to. And we left off in verse 14, where Christ says the gospel of the kingdom, the kingdom message in short, will be preached to the entire world for a witness. And then follows that up by saying, When ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet, stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which be in Judea flee into the mountains. Now stopping right there, understand, this is a key that he's giving you that requires knowledge of the book of Daniel that is found in the Old Testament. He says, then the end shall come when ye therefore shall see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet. And we're going to look at that momentarily, undoubtedly. But he will stand in the holy place where he ought not. Did we not already cover today from Luke, Isaiah, Ezekiel, that one of the the desires of the devil is to be reverenced as a god? That one of his prideful acts that caused him to be cast down was that he will exalt his throne above all the other stars and even Yahweh God himself. And we saw this in his temptation of the devil or of Jesus Christ, did we not? Because he offered him all the kingdoms of the world. And so in your own free time, because time is getting away from me, read Matthew chapter 24 in its entirety. Because he says in verse 21, For then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor ever shall be. And except those days of tribulation be shortened, there should no flesh be spared. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. And so it is my belief that we are living in an era of great tribulation and one merely need to look around the world and see that that is fueled more and more by the false prophet, right? Those ministers that we mentioned and looked at in great detail in Doctrine, Origin, and Works of Satan, the three parts before this. So, He also says, if any man comes to you and says, here is Christ, there is Christ, believe it not, for there shall arise false Christ, false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they should deceive the very elect. Now, Christ already told you why you won't be elect or uh, deceived, my elect friends who are listening, and in short, why the saints won't be. Because Yahweh God shortened the days of tribulation. Not because you're so studied. So understand that. The devil is bringing a deception that Christ says in Matthew chapter 24. Has never been since the beginning of the world until this time. Nor ever shall be. So now we're going to look at the latter fall of the devil. When he's cast down to make war with the saints. Before he goes into perdition. And that should not be confused with the first fall of Satan, known as his catabol, or the world becoming without form and void, the tohu vabohu. 
So where should we look in regards to this? Well, most of what I'm going to give you is going to be found in the book of Revelation, naturally. Revelation chapter 12, we learn in verse 7. There was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. And the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out to earth, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out onto the earth, and his angels were cast down with him. Understand the point? He deceives the entire world. So he brings great deception. But Yahweh God loves his saints, his children. In short, the Zadok, the elect, so much that he shortened those days of tribulation. And when the great dragon is cast out by Michael, the archangel, we learn in Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of Yahweh and the power of his Messiah. For the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. Who? The saints. So understand that point. Not only is this accuser or this adversary an enemy to Yahweh God, he's an enemy to you and I. And he accuses you. Everything you do wrong, he accuses. Because he has throne or access to the throne of God. We proved that from Job. We proved that from the temptations of Yahshua. Therefore, Christ is what? A mediator. A mediator. And that may sound cheesy, but it's a fact. There is war in heaven. The dragon is cast out by Michael. And so also do we read in the book of Daniel that Michael will contend and help us in battle. He will join into the fray during the battle of Armageddon. But now has come salvation. Now has come strength. And now has come the kingdom of our God. And isn't it interesting that there are so few venues outside of places like Eurofolk Radio and a few others that mention this kingdom message, that dare tell you that the kingdom of Yahweh God is eternal and is established on earth, and that the devil is bound for a thousand years, and during that millennium, the saints reign with Yahweh God, Yahshua, right? So do you understand why it is that we, even the saints, will judge angels? Because many angels fell. We confirm that from Genesis chapter 6. Who do you think it is that judges them? So, I want you now to skip to Revelation chapter 9. And we briefly touched upon this at the beginning. But in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11. They had a king over them, which is the angel of the bottomless pit. Who? The locust armies. The locust armies that Joel mentioned. Those that go out and make war with you and I, the saints, they have a king over them. They are considered anti-Christ as a collective whole because anyone who denies Yahshua and his deity, according to loving St. John, is a lower case Antichrist. But so it is that those that have tails like scorpions and those that have power to hurt men five months have a king over them. And that king is the angel of the bottomless pit whose name in the Hebrew tongue is what? Abaddon. But in the Greek hath his name Apollyon. Now you may have heard me mention this in passing, but we're going to prove this right now. 
Abaddon is of Hebrew origin. It's Hebrew number 11. It means a destroying angel, and it means to perish. Greek, Apollyon, is taken from number 623. It's the active particle, meaning a destroyer, that is Satan, also one who perishes. So, this king over them is considered elsewhere in Scripture to be the son of perdition. But yet in Isaiah chapter 14, in Ezekiel chapter 28, in many other places we learn that that same leader who deceives the nations, right? He does this as well. He is a ruler. He has a, a demonic hierarchy, one could say. So there is war in heaven. They have a king over them. And in both Hebrew and Greek, he means to perish. And, of course, there are more woes after that point. Revelation chapter 20, beginning in the first verse. John the Divine. I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Bound him a thousand years, right? So now we're entering into what is known as the millennium. And the millennium is a thousand year reign because in scripture, any thousand year reign, or a day of the Lord, one could say, is a thousand years. This angel that came down from heaven had the key of a bottomless pit and a great chain within his hand. He lays hold on the devil, meaning Satan, and binds him for a thousand years. Casts him into the bottomless pit, shuts him up, puts a seal upon him that he should deceive the nations no more until that thousand years should be fulfilled. And then after that, he must be loosed for a little season. Why do you think it is? To make war against the saints? Indeed, that is the case. Why do you think it is that there is a second death? And this is very important. We're right here in Revelation chapter 20. We're dealing with the second death. This is the final fall of the devil, one could say. This is where death and hell are ultimately cast into the lake of fire. And then we have world without end. Amen. Then we are in the kingdom. And there is light eternally. There is no more death. Why? Well, death and hell is cast into the same lake and fire. So what happens after the devil, known as Satan, and the dragon is loosed for a little season? Revelation chapter 20 verse 4. John says, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast. Neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Understand that point. Judgment is given to the saints. The souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Christ and for the word of God. And not only that, they are also they who do not worship the beast, neither his image. So the devil has an image, does he not? And the devil works through icons. And my friends, we live in an era of great deception where 95% of our people sit in front of the Talmud vision known as the TV and they fill their head with just trivial nonsense, foolishness, right? And it's all part of the agenda. 
They allow all of these things that are abominable into their mind. And this also is what? A false alternate reality. What dimension is TV? Fake, my friends. And we live in a world that rewards the deceivers. They call it the Academy Awards. But they exist for a reason. They exist for the same exact reason that Second Peter chapter 2 says the false prophet exists for. That is that the way of truth will be evil spoken of. And therefore, you turn on the History Channel, and what do you see but damage control? And you see the devil's ministers portraying good as evil, and evil as good. And the devil, and the Word of God says, woe unto them that do that. So, back in Revelation chapter 20. They that live and reign with Christ for a thousand years until the devil is loosed for a short season... We learn in verse 5, the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Very important. That's the first resurrection because here in a moment we're going to learn what is the second death. Yahweh God's mercy is so long-suffering that there is only one deity that is sentenced to death in Scripture. The aforementioned son of perdition, also known as Satan. He will ascend and go or descend into the bottomless pit. And we're dealing with part of that right now. Right? So, we learn in Revelation chapter 20, verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in that first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power. Stopping right there. So the saints that overcome and hath part in the first resurrection, don't taste of the second death. Therefore, when Christ says, Believe on me and you'll never taste of death, you understand why. It's a guarantee, according to Revelation chapter 20, verse 6. If you, as a saint, have part in the first resurrection, on such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall finally be loosed out of his prison. And he shall go out to deceive the nations which are on the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. Now, we're going to go over to the Old Testament because it was just mentioned right here. What happens after the devil is loosed from his prison, after the first resurrection, right? Well, he goes to to the four corners of the earth, and this is considered Gog and Magog. And many people are confused by this because there is a battle of the great day. It is mentioned in the chapter before this, in Revelation chapter 19. But before we actually go there, understand, it is confirmed right here in Revelation chapter 20, verse 14. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, And death and hell delivered up the dead that were in them. And they were judged, every man according to their works. Stopping right there. Every Israelite man, woman, and child, and Gentiles are judged according to their works. But yet men come in and attack preachers like myself by saying we espouse a works-based doctrine. But yet you're judged according to your works. Of course, we know Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8 says we're saved by grace. Common sense dictates that we are created for works. We are the workmanship. But what does John say after Revelation chapter 20 verse 13? He says, And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life is cast into the lake of fire. 
Now, many people struggle with this terminology, lake of fire, because after all, it just says death, a polite way of saying the devil, according to this very book of Revelation, and hell are cast into the lake of fire. Well, I'm going to explain that very briefly towards the conclusion of this message. But I want you to turn to the final chapter of Daniel, where we're going to look at this battle of the great day that we can read about in Revelation chapter 19. And also, here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time shall Michael stand up, the great prince which stands for the children of thy people. Stopping right there. At that time, during the battle of Armageddon, when the devil is leashed or unleashed to make war with the saints, the angel Michael himself once again will stand up the great prince who stands for who? The entire world? The aborigines? The Chinese? No. The children of thy people. And there shall be a time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation to that same time. And at that same time shall thy people, Israel, be delivered. Everyone that is written in the book of life. Do you not see how perfectly Daniel chapter 12 verse 1 ties into what we just covered in Revelation chapter 20? This is that ultimate war. And what is the war for? Well, technically it begins in Gog and Magog. It's considered to be the battle of Jehoshaphat. So it's over that particular mountain. And then ultimately over Jerusalem itself. And so that is very important to understand because in Revelation 2.9, 3.9, we learn that there is a synagogue of Satan. And we also learn in the same book of Revelation, considered to be the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a new Jerusalem that comes down from heaven adorned as a bride. Right? So understand that point as well. We're dealing with the saints, those that went before, those that were martyred for the word of God, those that the devil put to death for the witness, the testimony, and the very gospel. That thank God we have the liberty here in America to espouse on venues like Eurofolk Radio. But what else do we learn? Daniel chapter 12 verse 12. This is after Michael the archangel who, I might add, cast the devil to earth. He joins in the fray, we learn in verse 2. Many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. Some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting torment. Now do you understand the first resurrection and the second death? Because it's explained right here in Daniel chapter 12. They sleep in the dust of the earth. That means they're not really dead. But there is a second judgment. A second judgment. Which leads us to what? The second death. When late, when hell and the devil, we could just say, death is cast into the lake of fire. So, verse 3 continues. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of a firmament. And they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. Interesting, the stars. But yet it was Lucifer who said he would exalt his throne above the what of God? The stars of God. It was one of the signs that Christ gave in Matthew chapter 24 that the moon and the stars shall be darkened before this battle of the great day. On the Mount of Slaughter. That so many people wrestle with. Verse 4. Back in Daniel chapter 12. But thou Daniel shut up the words and seal the book. Even until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro. And knowledge shall be increased. 
Two things to understand. What we read in Daniel chapter 12 takes place at the time of the end. The latter fall and final fall of Satan. And also that knowledge shall be increased in that particular time of the end. Do you think that might be in part to, or, or partly responsible due to the internet and venues that actually exercise free speech? I believe it is. Few more points to consider. Turn with me to the minor prophet Joel. And if you require further study into the book of Joel, which merely means a messenger of Yahweh God. I've done the entire series last year. But in chapter 3, we learn in verse 1. For behold, in those days and in that time, when I shall bring again the captivity of Judah and Jerusalem, I will gather all nations and bring them down into the valley of Jehoshaphat, and I will plead with them, therefore my people, and for my heritage Israel, whom they have scattered among the nations, and parted my land. Because they have cast lots for my people and given a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they may drink. Does that sound anything to you at all? Like the false prophets that Peter confirms in his second epistle chapter 2. Will be among you, shall be among you. Does that sound anything at all like the false prophets that Malachi mentions in the first chapter? Where he says, Jacob have I loved, Esau have I hated. The God robbers who would not bring the full tithe into the storehouse. Who would live on the tithes. Who didn't mind giving a boy for an harlot and sold a girl for wine that they themselves might drink. And so it stands today. We have false lying terror, bastard false prophets in the church saying there's nothing wrong with transgenderism. There's nothing wrong with homosexuality. When we learn in that final chapter of Malachi, I am Yahweh God, I change not. When we learn in the final chapter of Ephesians, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Oh, my friends, Jesus Christ will never change. The morality of God's word will never change. And they who bank their salvation upon that word of God, as we've proven today, are they that overcome, right? Are they that are sealed? They are part of the remnant within the remnant of Israel's race. And... We learn about that in part here in Joel. One more place to consider because time is definitely getting away from me. But it's also here in the words of the minor prophet. In Zechariah chapter 12, we learn beginning in verse 1. Verse 1, Zechariah says, The burden of Yahweh God for Israel. Stopping right there. This burden, this lamentation, this woe. This grim reality that we're about to look at at the beginning of Zechariah chapter 12 is for the Israelite men, women, and children, says Yahweh God, not for whosoever believeth, which stretches forth the heavens and lays the foundation of the earth and forms the spirit of man within him. You understand the spirit that you are imparted with, that very spirit that Yahweh God breathed into Adam so that he could become a living soul was formed by Yahweh God. He says in Zechariah chapter 12, verse 2, Behold, I will make Jerusalem a cup of trembling to all the people, and they shall be in the siege against Judah and against Jerusalem. And in that great day, I will make Jerusalem a burdensome stone for all people. And in that day, says Yahweh, I will smite every horse with astonishment, every rider with madness, and the governors of Judah shall say in their heart, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, that is, the new Jerusalem in context, 
shall be the strength of Yahweh God, their house. So what have we proven today? Well, we've proven exactly what I set out to prove. The devil is literal. The devil once fell. Because of his pomp, his arrogance, and we learn that pride goes before a fall. That's not spoken for the idiots. That's spoken for you. So you understand. When a prideful person is acting prideful, a fall is coming. Therefore, when the son of perdition comes and exalts himself as he's tried so many times before, above the throne, stars, and saints of Yahweh God, you will understand that a fall is coming. You will know, as it is spoken in the book of Daniel, to flee into the wilderness. And that ties all the way back to Revelation, and the man-child that is born, and the locust, and all of his demons. So it does come full circle, my friends, and we learn and prove today that whomsoever perseveres until the very end is the same that overcomes. Did you ever stop to wonder why it was that Paul would say, if you run the race, run it until its completion? And so, at the conclusion of every broadcast, I say, war for Christ. Because if we war for Christ, we are warring for his coming kingdom. If we war for Christ, we are warring for the morality that is codified within Yahweh's word forever and commanded that we observe and teach every successive generation. These are racial prophecies. The devil uses the other nations as pawns in his attempt to make war with you and I. So let's not allow him that power, my friends, We learn in scripture, if we resist the devil, he will flee from you. The way of the false prophet is to come in and say, don't resist the devil at all. All sin is, oh, it's okay. It's forgiven. In fact, you can go out and willfully sin. These Judeo-Christians say, Christ died so you can eat pork, be a homosexual or a transgendered freak. This is not the case. Christ died so you will be anointed with that blood, my friends, covered. For the woes that are coming. The deception that will be unleashed upon the earth. And it is my prayer for you, the saints, the men, women, and children of Yahweh God. The racial offspring. That the woes and the deception that are to come and are promised will not touch you. That we will have personal and hopefully even someday maybe national repentance. And so, until that time... And until a week from now, when I once again rejoin you, 12 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, here on the Eurofolk Radio, every Saturday, with an all-new subject. This is Pastor Visser from Brooks, Georgia, wishing you and yours great studies, war for Christ. Amen. Thank you for joining us for this Bible study lesson with Pastor Visser of the Covenant People's Ministry. These teachings are recorded for you live by the Eurofolk Radio Broadcasting Network and can also be found in the archives of our church's website, which is covenantpeoplesministry.org. If you have any questions or comments regarding these messages, please write to us at CPM, Post Office Box 256, Brooks, Georgia, 30205 USA. Thanks again for joining us for this episode of the Covenant Gathering. May God bless you and keep you and be with you always.